out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 Show. I've been going through my archives of interviews I've done over the last few years and thought I should um, put out the whole interview rather than just little snippets within a playlist. So this is one with the railway children's main man, Gary Newby, that I did back, I do believe, in April 2017. And uh, this is it, and this is where I began by asking about the background of the band and how it became into being. And this was Gary's reply. Gary, over to you. I was originally at school with um, Stephen Hull, our bass player. Yeah. Um, uh, and then uh, we were in various school bands and stuff. Um, we, we then bumped into Guy and Brian, uh, the drummer and uh, with a guitarist, uh, just in a, a local club in Wigan, uh, which I uh, think's gone now. It's called what we used to call the Wigan Pier Club, um, and uh, yeah, we just started gigging around Wigan and and, the, and sort of surrounding areas, St Allen's and Bolton places, um, and kind of branched out after a while uh, to Manchester and, and started playing a, a lot of um, sort of smaller clubs around there. Um, <laughs> Because I was going to say, you, you obviously sort of appeared at the very sort of early days of sort of what was kind of became known as indie pop, really, wasn't it? Because this was like 84 time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I mean, I guess, you know, it all kind of, it, it, it was sort of wave of bands after the Smiths and things, which I suppose you could say kind of kicked the whole thing off with Rough Trade and that whole indie thing. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, it was definitely that kind of, uh, you know, uh, first wave of, of, of what you would call like, you know, the, the real sort of uh, indie. Jingly, of, jingly, jangly yeah. pop, really, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was very much the, the kind of, I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, you know, my, my kind of um, uh, major influences at that time were um, the, the kind of two main bands of the Smiths and R.E.M. So right. Sure. Uh, and and, and I, I'd always originally um sort of the, the Beatles and the Birds which kind of, you know, tie into those two bands as well, so. Yes, yes. Well, and, I, I, and, and the old jangle. <laughs> they all do jangle. I mean, a lot, lot of people also sort of often sort of name-check people like the Velvet Underground and also if they've yeah, if yeah. been a very eclectic, you know, Captain Beefheart and the Stooges, but often yeah. it is the Be- Birds and the Beatles and yeah. that kind of 60s sound that sort of came out yeah. of America and... Um, well, obviously Liverpool as well. Yeah. So, did it sort of? Did you get your sound together quite quickly? Because obviously, because I agree with you on that point about the Smiths' first album. I always think that is kind of year zero for indie pop. Really, it was sort of eighty two, eighty three when when the Smiths appeared, and there was suddenly this this sound that they had created almost from nothing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose the other bands like Orange Juice were another band that I really liked, and again, that's kind of quite similar vein as well um all the postcard kind of stuff um but yeah i mean we did we did we did go through uh i think this was the other band that i was really uh into was like uh echo and the bunny man uh, uh i really like the doors and things like that as well yeah that kind of psych- psychedelic kind of side of me of the 60s and um later the 70s television and things like that but yeah. um I guess we, so. We had we we did have a, like a, a, initially we did have kind of quite a mix of styles that we were into and kind of trying to find our way and what we were what we 
sort of, uh, you know, the direction that we really wanted to go in. Yeah. Um, but I think, uh, I suppose, uh, I suppose things like REM really uh, sort of started to be a, more of like a major influence. I, I kind of, I kind of in some way gravitates more towards US right. bands and the US kind of indie bands as well at the time that I really liked. There was um, other bands like uh, Dream Syndicate and uh, all the, the kind of, uh, there was the LA kind of psych- psychedelic rain parade and all that kind of stuff. And, um, Guadalcanal Diary, I think, was another one, and uh, Let's Active. Right. Um, yeah, all that. All, so I was really into that kind of the US, actually, probably more than the UK music, uh, sort of by the time that we kind of we sort of got gone to Manchester and were getting closer to what you know uh, became our, known as our sound, I suppose. Yeah. Um, um, but uh, yeah, I, I think by that point we we met our, our, our manager. Uh, who was Colin, who ran the Boardwalk Club in Manchester. Yep. And that kind of, that's when I think started to sort of take off then and we uh, we got involved with Factory and that started to be, you know, started to gravitate towards doing our first album. Right. Um, but, uh, because cause, yeah. cause having interviewed quite a few bands recently, I, I realised this is sort of, um, I suppose, a bit of a five-year five year arc, you know, where someone, get, you know, they get together, they sort of mm. get a sound, they get the first single out after a year and a bit of a tour, and then they do the album, and then they have that mm. tricky second album. So did you have a similar sort of path, or did yours, did you sort of manage to sort of survive that dreaded five-year period? <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I guess... Uh, you mean you mean before actually releasing a record or, or well, just the, often it's the life of a band almost is is that yeah. five years. But but I sort of yeah. could see that you managed to start. I mean, it was longer than that. It was longer than that for us in a way because it was probably three years or so before we even signed with uh, before we even released a record. You know, so we were together for that period, and then and then we were then it was like a five year period on when we actually started making records probably what 86 to 91 i think yeah um uh and then yeah i mean i mean definitely the first album is those the easiest i think for people because it's that's the one that you've been playing for three or four years in your build up to the yeah know, releasing a record um so you've got all this stuff that, it's all the stuff you've written to that point um and then you've got that, as you say, that tricky bit where you, what happens, you've got to write something in within a year or something uh, to get your next one out. Um, and that's, you know, that's when it gets tough for some people because, you know, it becomes more of a, in some ways, like a production line of, of releasing records and stuff, which doesn't suit everyone. Yet. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I remember talking to Paul from... Um... The Primitives, and I suppose by the time they got to their third album, I was quite surprised. He said, well, nobody was kind of interested in this anymore. And I was thinking, but The Primitives, you were so big in, in sort of the late 80s, and you did sort of great things and toured and done that. But he said, yeah, you know, the grunge period came along and then sort of Britpop, yeah. and they and just they just had enough, mainly because, you know, it just wasn't going anywhere anymore. And they just all felt like they needed to do something else. So I suppose that that's often the other tricky one is kind of keeping a fan base. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think especially in, in that period of time, um, say mid '80s to early '90s, there was there was quite a few waves. You know, there was uh, there was like the C86 era, era of bands such as ourselves, um, and then if you did it, the bands from that era, that if 
well from that from that sort of year that did if they didn't sort of cross over into the mainstream i mean the primitives did and and we did to some extent um you know obviously if they didn't they kind of disappeared quite quickly and uh and then you had baggy came in and, yes you know and then, and then grunge started to come in and you know so and and each time uh you know Manchester, all that kind of stuff i mean we weren't we were around obviously during the whole uh we used to rehearse the same place at the happy mondays and all lots of different stone roses were there lots of different bands were at the board or rehearsing all the time coming in and out james um but you know, uh, I don't know. I think we were seen as more of that 86 period rather than the kind of baggy thing. So, you know, mm-hmm. even think something like that was quite difficult. Uh, you know, because it's, it's just so it's constantly changing, isn't it? Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps more so than it is now. I don't know. You know, I don't know if bands feel that now. Well, In the space of a year or two, everything kind of really changes quite a lot. Yeah. Well, you know, yes, like you said, it was about three or four different real sort of particular scenes and obviously mm. compilations that went with it. Because obviously, when the C eighty six cassette came out, and it was twenty two tracks. You didn't appear on it, which was kind of amazing. But when it got reissued a few years ago with two more discs and up to sixty six songs, you you're on disc two, aren't you? So did you mm. did you did you just kind of miss the cassette? Did, was that something that just didn't happen? <clears throat> I mean, to be honest, I don't really think we were ever part of that C86 thing because I don't think we were. I mean, uh, what was that? Have what kind of shambling band or something? Yeah, kind of. I don't. We weren't really. I don't think that was really uh, our sound. You know, we were trying to be a lot more. uh, As I say, I think I think I I was kind of more interested in the what was happening in the US with indie bands rather than the UK. Yeah. Uh, and we were tr- we weren't trying to be like really professional slick or anything, but we weren't trying to be shambling. You know, we were trying to be um, <laughs> kind of not mainstream, but you know what I mean. Uh, I just wasn't I wasn't thinking it uh, wasn't thinking of it in that in that way. I don't think I think they were kind of a bit rougher and a bit more lo-fi. The it was it was definitely lo-fi, and, and there were bands yeah. on it who were just very jarring i suppose a very staccato yeah. quality like people like stump yeah. and bogshed and and you know yeah, 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 and yeah, i suppose in a way yeah. though it was great it was also a little bit of a novelty mm. because you realize it wasn't going to be going for too much longer in that way because i remember talking also to the guy from the june brides um mm. phil wilson and he and he didn't i don't think they actually wanted to be on the cassette because they didn't want to they wanted to distance themselves from it so i think when they got the opportunity to go on this sort of the reissue compilation with extra songs. I think they were thought, oh yeah, that's quite nice because it sort of became it encompassed more of a different sound, a bit like a bit more cultured, I suppose, a bit like mm. yourselves, the Weather Prophets, and obviously the June Bride. So, yeah, the original twenty-two tracks was a little bit more um, of a different scene, really. Yeah, I and mean, I think you know we just wanted to be a, a, a classic pop band. You know, we didn't want to be uh, uh, lo-fi or, or, or shambling or anything like that. You know, uh, so I think that's why. Just didn't. I think we were just off doing our own thing, really. Uh, you know, um, and then uh, I think we, uh, you know, we, we ended. Uh, we got asked to, to um, be on that compilation, but I think it was more the fact that we were we, we were making records in '86. You know, um, as opposed to we were actually on that cassette or anything. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Because obviously, you you went from factory records to to Virgin Records as well. So, how did you cope with the business side of it all? Not very well, really. I mean, I think um, I think looking back, we all we really probably should have stayed with Factory longer, and um, to, which would have let us just kind of do our own thing for maybe another album or so. Um, 
because as soon as I mean, as soon as we went to, to Virgin, it, it just became it just you just realised that you're you have it's very much a music business. You know, you're expected to uh, sort of churn out sort of songs. Uh, you know, to um, to order right. Um, you know, because because of the because of the advances and etc. involved. You know, which I think that you know maybe that suits a lot of people. Um, you can see that obviously the people who do well. Uh, in music, you can see that ones that, that that sort of whole thing suits, and that, who are good at that, and who probably would just be good businessmen anyway. Yeah. What, no, no matter what they were doing, but um, I, I found it a li- I found that a little bit kind of um, difficult at times, and, and also just even things like artwork and um, record sleeves and things. There'd be lots of arguments about you know what you know you have to have your face slapped on the front of things, and right. Uh, you know, so you could be in kind of an indie band with your esoteric photographs and stuff and all of a sudden you have to be splashed all over posters and stuff you know which right. uh, you know uh, can be difficult as well well absolutely because actually it was interesting because um i interviewed lou from the red guitars and and i think they enjoyed their first album but then they signed to virgin and i she said that you yeah. know that was the death they they never really enjoyed the experience or the sound that they got created for that second album and i think most of the members said you know i've sort of had had enough now and i think everyone agreed it was kind of over by then because because of virtually the same exactly the same experience that you had so yeah, yeah well i think yeah, I think so, I think everyone. I think everybody. I think it's the same for everyone. But as I say, some people they just view it differently. Some writers, some musicians, you know, they just think they're just cut out for it. And I mean, you can see it, can't you? The big, the big pop musicians who do it, and they they they're just very businesslike about the whole thing. But if you, but if you're, I think if you're from like an indie background, you know, you're more like you're maybe perhaps a little bit naive and idealistic about the whole thing. But um, yeah. You know, I, you, you, kind of your know, dreams quickly get kind of uh, you sort of wake up quite quickly well it's interesting to see the bands who progress for decades before it sort of goes but some sometimes decades and they keep going like the Rolling Stones and and you too they they seem to have got something that just keeps but yeah but I think they're the two examples of two bands that are, that are just consummate businessmen you know I mean, they're just yeah they, I, I think no matter what they did if they hadn't done music, if they'd have gone to something, they would have been, they're just good, you know, they can, they can handle that side of it very well. Um, but, you know, you take, take a band like the Bunny Men, I mean, I, you know, they, they could have been, they at, one, at one time they were almost as big as you two, and they could have been, but I, I think in some ways they didn't perhaps, I don't know, didn't appear to have been as, as well cut out for that, the handling yes. all that, you know. Um, you know, there's lots of examples, I think, of that. Um, well, actually, the Bunnymen's an interesting one because I recently I was watching one of those Top of the Pops, you know, um, programs from sort of '83, and they were on it, and I sort of realised, you know, how amazing they were for their first couple yeah. of the albums, and then yeah. and and on one level, you know, yes, I could see why they didn't sort of make it because it was like they just didn't look cut out to, to to go beyond that little indie pop world. And I think, mm. and, and it's it was quite interesting, you know, it was almost like the character of the band, and especially the lead singer, didn't yeah. didn't yeah. seem to sort of be able to suddenly kind of become Mick Jagger and sort of... Well, sing- I think, I think uh, yeah, I think a lot of indie bands have a kind of self-destructive nature to them, you know, in a way they don't want to be big, you know. Yeah. Um, and, they, and they kind of almost do, do take, make decisions which... And I think, you know, I count myself in that as well. You know, there's certain things you kind of do to almost stop yourself becoming too big because you feel like you're going to just totally 
maybe lose control of what you're doing or whatever, you know. Yes. Um, uh, and also there's certain things you just don't want to do, you know. Um, I remember having, like, you know, I think the, the reason we, like, split up with my manager, our manager at the time, um, was because we wouldn't support take that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and uh, you know, uh, it's stupid things like that. It's like, well, why would, you know, that's, that's just not a good fit for us, you know. We don't want to, uh, you know. Uh, but you couldn't see, you know, certain people couldn't see it. It's like, oh, no, why not do it? It's, you know, it's great for your career and stuff. But it's like, well, you know, I, I wanted to be like R.E.M. or something. Oh, you know, I want to have some credibility in uh, you know, a rock, you know, kind of band or whatever. And it's, I don't want to be supporting boy bands, uh, you know. But that's what you're up against. That's what I was up against at the time. And it was, yes. it, just got very di- it just got very difficult, you know. I would imagine you probably had a few sleepless nights thinking, this is madness, <laughs> this is madness. Yeah, of all the bands you were just about to say, I didn't ever, ever think that your manager would want to take that. You know, I mean, you, someone like Simple Minds or you too, yes, I can see a link, but boy, especially the boy band, because the original years, they, they had that whole sort of naked kind of homoerotic thing going on as well, <laughs> so which, was, which was like yeah. quite yeah. odd when you watch it now. You think, my God, what yeah. but you know, they went yeah. with it, but they were sort of, I don't know, 16 and desperate. But when you, when you get into your 20s and 30s, desperation is a bit... Mm. And you, but then, you know, obviously years later, decades, decades later, you, you know, the band are still sort of making a noise and, and sort of doing oh, gigs. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, so, again, I, I, you know, uh, just a completely different approach perhaps you know but um uh, you know it, it, the, 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 again it's like maybe that naivety of like having that indie kind of ethics i'm sorry i'm not doing this i'm not doing that but obviously maybe it does uh it, it probably does really limit you, you in some ways to what you can do because you know you, you already choose about you know what direction you want to go in and who, who you want to play with how you want to be seen and stuff and and on the other side you've got you know the, the virgin people whoever just want to make as much money as possible and reach as much people as possible regardless you know so yeah that kind of you've got that kind of um fight going on in a way so have you enjoyed sort of getting back together with with the band because you obviously you've had a you had a break didn't you the band (laughs) yeah quite a break break. 25 years but (laughs) but interesting there is this kind of amazing correlation you know or or consistency with all these bands who are sort of after like 20 odd years have sort of slowly started sort of getting their guitars out and having a bit of a strum again and then sort of meeting up with a few members and thinking actually we could do this but but can we just have fun doing it so was it a similar experience with the railway children uh yeah absolutely i mean i I think um it it was really just kind of a a spur of the moment idea and i got in touch with the drummer guy and uh, we got managed to to track that we we were totally out of touch so we didn't know where anybody was right Uh, we managed to track people you know the rest of the band down and everyone was up for it but I think, I mean, probably the big difference these days is uh, social media and just the way that you can contact and find people. And um, you don't, in effect, need a, a promoter these days. I mean, when we lost our management in the early 90s uh, after leaving Virgin, you know, it, 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 we were just totally cast adrift at that point because you had no way of, you know, you could start calling promoters up and that, but it, it's very difficult at that point. And you and you had no contact directly with your fans the way you do now. Yes. Um, so it was, you know, really game over at that point. We we couldn't really, uh, you know, 
anyway, we didn't have the skills to sort of get to, to, to carry on at that point, um, sort of keep it going. But um, these days, I mean, you know, we, we literally just announced that we got back together again. And then everything we've done since may, mainly has just been people approaching us. So it's the other way around, you know, approaching us through social media. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you want to play this? Do you want to play that? Um, we, we haven't done any kind of... Uh, phoning around or anything uh, or, or needing a promoter you know to um be rep- uh, uh, to be represented by and stuff like that so yeah. it's very it's very in, in a way it's the um epitome of being indie isn't it you it is kind of, absolutely you just do it yourself and you talk to your fans and you go and do it so in that way it's actually full circle right back to, <laughs> you know how you, how, you know how you sort of did things in the beginning. Yeah. Well, it's kind of got a purity because actually, I think this month the Primitives and the Darling Buds have both got singles coming out, and obviously they're going to be sort of releasing them themselves rather than <clears throat> having to sort of deal with anybody else or, or even particularly yeah. to distributors. And and obviously there's the physical quality of the single and probably the CD, and there's a, there's sort of streaming and download. So oh, I think with those, you know, with a lot of the bands, they're actually quite enjoying it now because they feel a bit more in control, and they're not thinking, oh God, we're going to have to play as many gigs as possible it's like they pick and choose and say well that'd be quite a nice gig and we'll do that and that you know a couple of months later it'll be fun to do another one but there isn't that kind of pressure on themselves to sort of somehow think that they're going to achieve huge sales and and sort of sell out arena tours yeah well so yeah and it's 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 purely down to enjoyment of of playing live um playing you know playing the songs again um going to some or lots of the places that we never actually got to go to um and you know and just doing it as and when it kind of takes our fancy really um i mean at the moment we're kind of um reaching obviously reaching that point you think well we don't want to just keep playing um the same songs though at this point um because that kind of gets a bit boring so um Probably, I'll probably have to at some point, <laughs> you know, dust dust off my um, writing gear and uh, do it. Come oh. up with some new stuff as well. Oh, excellent! And yeah. do, do you find with the, the the fans that are coming to see you, are they the originals, or have you sort of got some new followers that are sort of kind of could be or your almost your children, you know, basically younger yeah, people? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely. Uh, it's a kind of a, it's a real mix. I mean, some someone said that actually at the London we did. Lexington recently said, you know, God, your your audience is like uh, so diverse. You know, uh, I think it's, you know, there was there was young young people who probably um, uh, just heard us on YouTube, basically saw videos or whatever, and just discovered us that way, yeah, or on Spotify or something. Um, and uh, obviously, uh, you know, then the old timers, <laughs> the old timers <laughs> with with their uh, Zimmer frames. And, but it's but it's interesting going back because I I agree with what you said about the C eighty six the original cassette because it was all it was kind of interesting because it was so the antithesis of that whole Brian Horn um, Trevor Horn sound and sort of big productions and big hair and big shoulder pads and then suddenly you got this shambolic kind of sound but it, but it's interesting that sort of you, you created so many kind of almost perfect pop songs didn't you with with songs like brighter especially is the one that i think you know you must look back at that song and think god that was just perfect yeah no it's definitely one of my favorites um it's it's it's, it's funny uh that that song's kind, kind of unusual in that um it it, it didn't really sound like that up until the point of the day we went in the studio and a lot of it happened in the studio yeah. um, it was got a lot of serendipity with that song um, 
So uh, yeah, you know, I, I remember, you know, I remember that day we did in the studio was with um, New Orders um, producer um, Johnson. I can't remember his first name now. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of things just came together. In the oh, are you still there? No. Oh, did your Bluetooth yeah. just kick in? <laughs> I uh, know somebody was trying to um, Phone. call me. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, sorry. sorry about that. Yeah, so, that. so that was, um, yes, the New Order producer was there, engineer. Hmm. So that, God, I've got, completely forgot what you, no, you were just talking about the single Brighter and how it came together. Oh, yeah, could you just tell me that story? Because that is one of your amazing songs. Yeah, as I say, it's just, uh, I mean, that has happened a few times and, and, and those kind uh, those when that happens in the studio, I think that, that's really, you always really remember it because it's like sometimes you're really struggling with a song and it's like it's not quite happening. And I don't know if it's the pressure, the fact that you're in the studio and you're paying for it and, you know, it's, you've got to just pull it out of the hat. Um, but I, I think, I, you know, I, I changed the lyrics quite a lot and the tune. And uh, I, I don't know, it, just thought, it was just one of those songs that really just came together at that point and then played it back and it's like, yeah, you know, that sounds great. Um, and I just remember that kind of excitement at that time of, you know, when when it just sort of came out of almost thin air, really, you know. Um, yes. As opposed, to, as opposed to sitting there and, you know, for weeks before and kind of doing all the pre-production. That was just literally spur of the moment, a lot of that stuff. Um, and, you know, and that happened that happened from time to time, time in certain tracks. Fantastic. Well, yeah, but just one kind of last point. But what I find quite interesting now with Spotify, because it kind of gives you sort of access to lots of music sometimes you couldn't get originally, is also seeing that bit where it says about where you can look at your monthly listeners and where mu people are listening. Do you sort of go on Spotify and go, my God, people in the Philippines are loving, oh, and also Peru. Do you sort of think that's amazing? Yeah, yeah, especially, well, probably those two places, actually. <laughs> the, Philippines, the Philippines and South America. Uh, Seem to be... be I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I think our Facebook group was originally set up by someone in the Philippines. Yeah. Um, um, and we've got, we got lots of fans that actually come to the gigs at the moment from the Philippines who come over. Right. Um, so, yeah, then there's various other places in the world, you know, and you think, God, you know, <laughs> how did that happen? Um, and this is and such a long time ago as well. I mean, we're talking, you know, 25 years plus 30 years well um, yeah i mean it's it's 30 years isn't it when you were sort it's of incredible you know uh, i i mean I, I was thinking about this the other day but it's just that that gap is is massive I and mean, it's like the 60s to the 1930s or the 70s to the 1940s you know that's that 30 year gap yes um but it seems like time's kind of compressed a bit now it doesn't really feel that along all that different you know um what is what is yeah. also quite interesting because a lot of stuff kind of would get lost if it wasn't for the kind of the stream, you know, the internet and the streaming. So suddenly yeah. it can in, in, instead of sitting in a box under someone's bed or in a cupboard, mm. and you know, it's kind of people are just putting stuff out there, and and you know, it's yeah. sort of given a sort of second lease of life, which is amazing because I notice your every beat of your heart, you know, has had a, over a hundred thousand listens or streams or whatever that is, which again is a phenomenal number for that you know. So in a way, instead of it becoming heritage and archived and then very dusty all this stuff suddenly becomes quite sort of vital again and I suppose actually when when you sort of announce you got a gig you know I suppose you know it must just really cheer fans up because it's like oh my god I thought they would you know didn't know, you know dead, <laughs> <laughs> dead, dead dying or just disappeared or in a care home yeah. but but obviously yeah, you know yeah. you, you can just put the message out there and 
and wham, bam, it's all there. But look, well, thank you ever so much for talking to me. And like I said, when I do, you know, the, the sort of special on the show, I'll tell you when it's coming out and then, you know, um, that'll be brilliant. But thank you ever so much for the time to uh, no have an interview with me because that's been magic. Okay, well, thanks a lot. Great. Take care. Okay, Bye-bye. Cheers.